I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat in 3, our weekly food news roundup. Fall is finally here, so it's time to get funky and devote an episode to some of our favorite spunky microbes. Fungi just provide this beautiful, whimsical lens on how the world works. They have so many roles. They're this strange and magical-seeming group of organisms, but they've got it all figured out. Should you eat the cheese rind? Can you eat the rind? These are like the biggest questions. We'll answer all of your questions about mysterious mushrooms and crazy curds. Plus, we'll give you a sneak listen to the newest season of Modernist Breadcrumbs. So tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Made in France since 1925, the first and finest enameled cast iron cookware and a favorite for generations. For more information, visit lecreuset.com. That's L-E-C-R-E-U-S-E-T dot com. You're listening to Feast Meets West the show tracing the stories behind your favorite Asian foods. I'm your host, Linda Liu. We are broadcasting live from Heritage Radio Network at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Every episode, we dig deep on a dish or aspect of Asian cuisine by having a conversation with the passionate people from the world of Asian food. First of all, happy Halloween, everyone! Mm-hmm. It's a spooky episode. Just kidding. Today, we're joined by Lucas Sin, chef of Gen Z Kitchen, and Emily Kang, founder of Tomorrow, to talk about how they are changing the perception of Chinese takeout in the city with their fast, casual concepts. They're saying goodbye to the iconic but greasy American Chinese takeout container, and to put it in New York fast casual comparisons, their concepts are ushering in a new age of, say, Chinese dig-ins and sweet greens. Will accessibility and speed to delicious Chinese food bring a better understanding of Chinese cuisine to the masses? We'll discuss whether a simple and humble thing like takeout can drive the education of Chinese culture. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us. So we're just going to jump right into it. Lucas, let's start with you. How did you end up as chef of Gen Z Kitchen? I wish I had the short answer for that. Um, but no, take your time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd been uh, cooking for uh, quite a while. Um, I actually opened my first restaurant back in Hong Kong when I was 16. That's crazy. Where did you learn uh, to cook? Uh, I Probably my father. Uh, my grandmother was a cook, but I think my father is probably the best chef I've ever met in my whole life. Like a home chef or a professional Yeah, absolutely. Chef. So wow. like you wake up in the morning and everything in the fridge that was there last night is suddenly in a pot and it's delicious. <laughs> like that's, that's my dad. Um, so we've been uh, cooking at home for a while and uh, there in Hong Kong there's a bit of a um, culture of what we call sifang uh, tai or um, like private kitchens. Um, so uh, in Hong Kong we opened one of these things. And we did like a, we were so silly and so stupid. We were taking ourselves way too seriously. A bunch of 16-year-olds opened a 13-course place that we ran every summer. So um, it was you and some friends? Uh, yeah, I taught a bunch of friends how to cook, how to hold three plates at once, how to talk about wine and that sort of thing. Um, and before you know it, we're taking ourselves way too seriously. And uh, I haven't really stopped cooking since. Um, but I did a lot of my culinary training in uh, Japan, where I used to think that the best food in the world was. Uh, now that belief seems to have shifted to China. Um, but uh, when I met the other founders of Genza in 2015, um, we set off on a mission to build uh, accessible Chinese food um, and to, as, uh, as you said, bring Chinese food to the fast casual format. Um, so we've been working on that project since. Yeah. So uh, what was the origin story of the concept? How did the other founders come up with it? Right. So, um, Junza started in New Haven, um, probably sometime around 2013 to 2015. Um, the concept in the beginning was, 
um, they, they were thinking about how uh, contemporary Chinese people are eating, both in China as an as and as immigrants um, here in the U.S. And they were asking themselves um, whether the food that we had access to in the U.S. while they were in school was a true representation of the lifestyle and the type of eating that they were accustomed to. Um, and to some degree it was yes, but to most of the degrees it was no. Um, so they started asking themselves, like, what would it be like to build a contemporary Chinese restaurant that is almost as Chinese as it is, it is American? Um, how would we build a um, restaurant that would reflect the narrative and the identity that um, we've come to uh, see ourselves in? So uh, that's how we settled on the fast casual concept. The idea there is to innovate um, in the content, um, but to keep the form and the structure of the restaurant the same. So um, the form and the structure by that we mean, uh, at Junzi what we serve is northern Chinese food um, in an assembly line, so you can build your own, uh, very much like Sweet Green or Diggin, as you mentioned. Um, but the flavors and the menu and the food itself came from uh, the northeast and northern China. So we were sourcing these flavors that were very much a part of our founders' um, childhoods, as well as, like, there's a little bit of a sense of nostalgia there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you guys decided on, so, like, Northeast Chinese-style cuisine, mm-hmm. right? Um, did you, how did you go about building that menu? Because you said you're not from the, yeah. the no, Northeast <laughs> China. Yeah, I'm uh, originally from Hong Kong. Um, and uh, the reason why we um, decided to settle in northern Chinese food because, well, the first step is that northern Chinese food is kind of, in some ways, an easier way to explain our dif- the difference between the food we make and the food that uh, most Americans know and have grown to love. Mm. Um, most of the Chinese food that you would have eaten today in the U.S. Um, is sourced, uh, well, really, it's a regional Chinese-American food, but it's sourced primarily from the south. Um, there's a lot of stir fries that are based on things like soy sauce, cornstarch, sugar, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. frying or parboiling before you uh, actually do the stir fry, that sort of thing. Um, we had to. We decided that we had to bring some sort of flavor that was different from that, so that we could Fair. tell people that there's more color and there's a little bit of diversity to Chinese. And it's food. not all rice. It's not it's all stir fry. Absolutely. So um, at Jun's, we don't serve rice, um, and we have decided to build the menu primarily based on the grain of wheat. Um, in the north for, the ver- for a very long time, basically until the Cultural Revolution, there wasn't a lot of rice being grown. Um, and most of the communities in northern China had built themselves on uh, m- the manipulation of flour. Um, and so flour plus water is bing. So mm-hmm. all of bing basically is just flour and water made into And how do you explain um, bing in um, English? Um, the easiest, the, there are a couple of levels. The easiest way to say, it's, it's kind of like a Chinese flatbread. Um, but as long as it's flat and like circular, it really falls into the category of bing. Um, and as long as the main constituents of that the product are, are, are flour or dough-based, that's certainly what a bing is. Uh, to give you an example, um, scallion pancakes, um, traditionally translated as pancakes, could very well be translated as scallion bing. Mm-hmm. Um, in China, we like to call pizzas pizza bings because to us that's... It's just flour and water with cheese and tomatoes and stuff on top. So um, it, it really is a We're pretty broad Roberta's category. Pizza bings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, now in the New York, for example, you can see a lot of bings like jambing. Mm-hmm. Jambing is exactly. uh, mung bean flour and water. Um, or uh, there are some contemporary restaurants that are serving things called bing breads at Momofuku, for example. And bing breads is just, it's the Chinese flatbread. Yeah. And so there's a ton of history to the to that product, right? And then also how it can transform then into Mm -hmm. noodles and other Mm -hmm. versions of it. Yeah. So if you were to dig a little deeper into the original dictionary, um, around the Qin Dynasty, you'd have, uh, uh, since the Qin Dynasty, you would have found a dictionary definition of... And when was that? Uh, I'm not good at Chinese history, but like how many thousands of years? This is... (laughs) I wish I could give you a straight date, but um, this is something that I would refer to my father as well. But the first Chinese dictionary, right? You would go into the diction, uh, definition for Bing and it would say Bing is food. And that would be the whole definition. Wow. Because um, uh, for a very long time, flour and water, that dough, was the origin of a lot of the main carbohydrates that um, people survived on. So if you had flour and dough, right, and you rolled it out really flat and you toasted it and you put things into it, that could be a Bing. If you rolled it out flat, um, raw and you put minced meat in it and you wrapped it up really nice and small that's a, a dumpling if you took that big round dough of ball uh, that big round ball of dough and went over a pot of water or something you shaved it into the water that's your like original noodle you could carry this dough under your saddle you could like go places nomadic tribes had it 
Um, so that really was like the, the sort of like cornerstone of a lot of the wow, diet of, yeah. of China. So transformative. Yeah. It's a really, really ancient thing. thing. You know, um, the other day, they found a 4,000-year-old noodle <laughs> in like an urn <laughs> in China, which means that we've been making noodles for 4,000 years. That's ridiculous. That's so long. Like that's how old the, the, the Bing, the Bing must have been older than the noodle, right? Yeah. Because the noodle came after the bing. So, um, I mean, in some ways, yeah, we're re- referencing this like super old tradition, um, this super old way of preparing flour and water. But at the restaurant, what we like to do is we serve chun bing. It's kind of like a spring bing that's usually eaten on the first day of spring. The idea is you have these thin pancakes, thin bing rolls things, and then you add whatever vegetables, pickles, meats that you want into it, customize it. You have a little roll of your wrap, and that's the chun bing. Yeah, it's um, easy to take out. Um, but beyond the, the bing and noodles that you guys mm-hmm. offer, um, I also saw that you have the chef's table and after hours concepts. Can you describe those and why you do them? Absolutely. So um, in the evening and uh, during late night, um, we like to serve something called Junza After Hours. And Junza After Hours is um, our attempt to flip the entire restaurant uh, the other way around. Um, it was because when we first started working this project together, I was doing pop-ups in my dorm room. I made a lot of things like, you know, burgers and quesadillas and uh, nasty mac cheeses and stuff for <laughs> students. And the, but but <laughs> as nasty as that food was, there was a sense of community to eating late night and having students come together and celebrate and, and we're making drunk food and all these yeah, things. Yeah, more of that so community aspect exactly. of the culture. And as students, right, when we met as students, it made sense that we were trying to eat healthy, nutritional, like balanced food during the day. But at night, you wanted something a little more revelatory. So that's where the after hours menu came about. Um, That after hours menu has evolved um, since we started doing it. Um, Every location has, you know, like a slightly different menu. Um, So uh, it's been a lot of fun. Chicken wings, fried chicken, scallion pancakes, that sort of thing. Um, as for the chef's table, which is another thing that we do at Genza, that's kind of my personal project of doing tasting menus that uh, reflect or th- they attempt to explore some sort of narrative. So yeah. to give everybody a sense. Must be interesting for you, too, because you come so up with fun. a different theme. Is it yeah. every month? Uh, every month. We do seven courses um, for a small amount of guests, and they eat these sort of like courses while everybody else is eating the fast casual food. And... Every month we pick a theme that explores the cusps of Chinese food culture. Um, most recently we did one with, shout out Harlan Turkel, um, MHT on, uh, on vinegar and looking at the re- relationship between vinegar and Chinese food. And um, we've done uh, dinners that look at the relationship between Chinese immigrants and Dominican immigrants. Um, and so it's all just to, again, like the way we used to do. We're taking ourselves way too seriously, but using food as <laughs> right. like the vessel and the first step to access some sort of like deeper cultural narrative. Um, I read this Vogue article. You guys were described as the Chinese sweet green in it. How do you like that comparison? Um, I mean, it's good because sweet green is um, an incredible uh, institution. Um, and they very much were trailblazers for the new generation of uh, fast casual concepts, um, especially in dining, uh, especially in uh, defining not only how um, metropolitan Americans dine and eat, but also how um, casual and efficient restaurants should be run. Um, it was really funny when that uh, story came out. Um, uh, the uh, CEO of Sweet Green, Nick, gave us a call. And basically said, "Hey, um, can I speak to can I speak to the person in charge here?" And we're like, "Hey, yeah, okay. what's up? Who is this?" And he was like, "Hey, I'm Nick." I was like, "Nick, what? Nick from Sweet Green? Oh, the CEO of Sweet Green." <laughs> oh, yeah. He says something along that the lines Nick. of, "Yeah." He's like, uh, "I've read that you're the Sweet Green of Chinese food, so I guess we should talk." <laughs> and then he's come to the restaurant a bunch, and I think he's a fan. So um, it's it's a very um, healthy connection, I think. And absolutely, in terms of Sweet Green, um, uh, I think they do a lot. They have done a lot already in the very short amount of time that they've been here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, kind of a model of success. Absolutely, that. yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, Emily, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so last time uh, you were here, we were talking about Mala Project, mm-hmm. but this time we'll talk about tomorrow. Um, but could you remind our listeners first how you ended up as a restaurateur in New York City? Yeah, so I came to um, the United States to uh, go for college at the Culinary Institute of America in 2010. Um, 
primarily, I just wanted to, uh, I guess, pursue this culinary dream of, of mine.、Um, didn't really know what to do after graduation, so I ended up,、um, I ended up uh, um, becoming the general manager at a Chinese restaurant、um, called China Blue. They're also the owner of Cafe China, which is,、um, as of right now, the only one Michelin Chinese restaurant in New York City. Um, so I've been idolized um, um, since ever since I,、um, you know, ca- came here and and knew about them.、Um, after、um, almost a year of、um, working with them, my visa was coming to an expi expiration. So、um, me and the the my coworkers at the time from、uh, China Blue,、uh, we were just. Casually chatting, and I was talking to them about my visa issue.、Um, you know, can't be on payroll for much longer.、Mm-hmm. Um, but interestingly, you could be.、Um, I found out that you could be a, a founder of a company. So if you wanted to do that, and、um, you know, it was kind of an impulsive decision. So we we got together and we were like, maybe we'll just open our own our own restaurant. Wow.、Um, so that's where Mala Project came about. The first, like the first spark of yeah, kind of like the rush of that was a good thing. It pushed、yeah. you in the right direction. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah.、Um, and then going back to、uh, before coming to the U.S. to study, who or what inspired you to go down this culinary path?、Um, so my grandma,、um, actually, everybody in my、um, family. Is a really really good cook,、mm-hmm. except for my parents. So my grandmother, my <laughs> aunt, my uncle, even my cousin, they're all really good cooks.、Um, so I think because of the fact that my my parents didn't really cook that much, so like I always had this. I have to go out to to get good food. So like we always go to my grandparents for dinner. So that became like a ritual rather than you know coming home and like. Just have the food read,、uh, ready there.、Um, so I spend a lot of time with my grandma, and and she pretty much raised me while my parents were working, and she influenced me a lot. And I、um, I had already forgotten about this、um, actually growing up, but when I was little, this is、um, my 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 grandparents reminded me of this because when I was little, I always wanted to be the.、Um, Um, like the、uh, a food critic,、mm, okay. but I forgot about that. And then after going to、um, you know attending to CIA, my grandparents they were like, "Oh, you, your childhood dream came true." And I was like, "What? I forgot about that." Oh yeah, <laughs> so okay, you've had this vision long term. <laughs> yeah, I guess, but like I guess it's more、um, like subconsciously. It was just、uh, always in me. But then、um, even back in high school, I was baking. I was、um, taking baking class really seriously. Um, and I had like I even had my online bakery. I was doing a lot of baking、um, and, and cooking mostly.、Um, so where did the concept of tomorrow come from?、Um, so after、um, two years of、uh, Mala Project,、um, I I had this urge to do something else for my for my parent for my mom essentially. So I wanted to open a small like a tiny family small.、Uh, A restaurant in New York, and I'll I'll have this restaurant dedicated to my mom because at Mala Project, she's she's all she she has invested in me, and then we also had um, you know my my really good friends um as my partners as well. So I wanted um to have like a small thing, just maybe I didn't think too much, maybe as、uh, as a retirement fund for my mom, um. And I didn't want it to be big, so I was going for the takeout kind of like、um, low maintenance con-、uh, concept. And、um, Chinese、uh, tomorrow is it, it, the concept of tomorrow is kind of like a shutang,、mm-hmm. um, which is I guess a Chinese dining hall or like, like a, a cafe- canteen. Yeah, a canteen cafeteria、um, that we we have a lot of back in back in school. All the schools or like large companies that will have their own shutang. Um, and I always liked that idea, so I wanted to do something similar to that,、um, kind of like, and we're serving three dishes and the base. Yeah, and, and like, it changes up every day. Yeah, our our menu changes every day.、Um, we have our lunch like instead of having lunch ladies, we have our lunch, you know, 
young girls, but um, but it's a very very casual like family oriented place. And um, can you describe some of the dishes on your menu at tomorrow? What um, does that look like? We have um, so there are five uh, stable dishes that we uh, we have it every single day, and the rest six to seven dishes we uh, rotate. Um, some of the um, signatures are there's the spicy or uh, pig gear in chili oil, um, tomato and egg, which is what I grew up eating, um, beef and t- beef and potato, um, like like jia chang cai, really really simple homey Home food, style yeah, cooking, exactly, yeah. Yeah, um, shout out to the tomato egg. You guys have yeah. one there at a yeah. Gen Z too, Everybody right? Everybody loves tomato egg. <laughs> yes. Um, and then uh, what regions of China would you say these dishes are inspired by? Or is it across the board? It's um, across the board with a f- heavy focus uh, of northern northern Chinese food and some Sichuanese food. Um, even because I, I grew up in uh, Tangshan, which is uh, about two hours f- from Beijing. So I, I'm from the north. And even even in my family, we would have uh, Sichuan dishes like mapo tofu. Sometimes we would have uh, kong pao chicken. So it's not, um, I think like the actual, in a, in a Chinese household, we don't really... Uh, differentiate yeah it's like your your favorites much like here you can have like fried chicken from the south yeah exactly yeah so um i guess it you would say it's a combination of uh beijing style and citron style sure um and you're serving up chinese breakfast too right which is pretty rare in the city um can you describe to our listeners what kind of dishes are typical of chinese breakfast yeah typically uh we have I guess uh, very well known uh, soy milk and fried dough um, a cruller yeah yeah kind of like that um, it's very greasy like literally fried dough and you dip it in, in soy milk and you drink it together um, there's uh, a lot of noodles um, a lot of carb like pork bao um, congee mm-hmm. with pork and century egg um, so it's very carb heavy for for our breakfast so really get going after <laughs> yeah. that yeah um, and what's the reception been like what's your clientele like do you get um, more like Chinese uh, Americans um, when uh, First, when we opened, we had a majority Chinese, like uh, Chinese immigrants, kind of like me, came to uh, came came to. They know the that they love the pig ears and chili oil, you know. Yeah, yeah, they do. And then um, people that are that grew up in China, um, who work down in Fidei, um and then slowly we we've been seeing a lot more American, actually a lot more American customers now. And there's some um, American Chinese as well. Um, so I would say now it's like maybe a 65% versus 35% American. Cool. And they're really also receptive to the new dishes that they've never seen before? Yeah, they are. Um, because it, 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 it's very obvious that it's n- nothing like they've, what they've seen before at a regular Chinese takeout. Um, and some people that have been to China, they, they would come in and they'll look at our display, our steam table, and they'll say, oh, you guys are actually Chinese food. Ah, like, okay. Yeah, we are actually Chinese food. Yeah. <laughs> it's like how refreshing. Yeah. Um, are there any similarities between Tomorrow and Mala Project, do you feel? <clears throat> I think uh, in the sense of the nostalgia, um, there's a lot of uh, similarity and we always... Um, we try to be as original as possible. We try to stay away from the word authentic because I think it's very subjective. But um, both at Tomorrow and Mala Project, I, I we don't really like innovate. I guess we try to instead we try to represent the dishes um, as close as to what we, I you know we we've remembered it ever mm-hmm. since childhood. Um, so in that sense, there's a lot of similarities. Um, I think the vibe, like, although one is full dining uh, restaurant, one is takeout restaurant, a lot of p- 
people can they they perceive this vibe as like comfort comfortable and homey um yeah and um to the both of you guys uh lucas emily um how did you and your teams decide to go with a like fast casual concept right now for what you're doing rather than executing on a full service restaurant for this idea or the type of food you're serving? I think Emily and I uh, have probably have different perspectives because she runs a wonderful full service restaurant um, to be begin with. But the really weird thing that Jenza decided to do was to open first a, um, a counter service fast casual restaurant. Um, and the idea was because um, our primary motivation was uh, accessibility. Um, and so therefore that required for the food to be served at a certain efficiency, for people to be in and out of the restaurant, for the food itself to have a certain takeout ability and all of the rest. Um, so we were looking at how people would like to eat lunch usually here in the US. And there are a couple of models at hand. There are diners, there are full service restaurants, there are um, sort of like fast food restaurants, and then there are those fun things in between that we now call fast casual. And looking at restaurants like that, we saw um, the sort of like operation efficiency and also the efficacy of like bringing people, uh, bringing a large amount of people. Um, yeah, food. reaching the masses. Exactly. Mm. Um, so uh, we decided that that's what we wanted to try to build, especially because there seems to be a little bit of a lack of. Chinese food representation in that field. Um, the titans that are Chinese um, sort of casual food right now um, are Panda Express and P.F. Chang's, both of which were built in the 80s. Um, and they've done incredible, wonderful things. Um, Panda Express, for example, has 2,000 units now, um, which means a lot of people. They just opened two restaurants in Russia. That just means so many people all around the world are eating Chinese food and getting to know Chinese food because of that. Mm -hmm. um, and we thought we wanted to be the second wave and to follow their footsteps to say, hey, um, this is what a Chinese casual restaurant would be at scale if we built it in 2015 and not the 1980s. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm so glad you're doing that. Um, all right, so we're going to take a really quick break, and then we'll be right back with more Feast Meets West. Today's program was brought to you by Le Creuset, the first to pioneer colorful enameled cookware over 90 years ago. They've been a favorite for generations through the meals and memories the cookware creates and the style it expresses. My name is Kat Johnson. I'm the communications director at Heritage Radio Network. When I'm not making food radio, I'm making food, and my favorite cookware is the eight-quart marine blue Dutch oven that never leaves my stovetop. Before we got our Le Creuset, the cookware we used most often was an antique Griswold cast iron pan. It didn't take long for me to realize how much I'd been missing enamel cast iron in my life. Le Creuset has the superior heat retention of cast iron, but paired with the unparalleled performance and ease of enamel. That means delicious food with easy cleanup. Head to lecreuset.com HRN, that's L-E-C-R-E-U-S-E-T, dot com slash hrn to see all the new products and amazing holiday gift deals hrn listeners will get 20 percent off the new Le crusade cookbook with the code hrn welcome back all right so lucas semily why do you think it takes a younger generation to be doing what you're doing? You know, pioneering the Chinese fast casual concepts in the city and having a desire to do that. Um, I think it just happened to be the timing is right now. Um, our our older the generation before us they they have built a, a wonderful foundation for us and they they introduced this the first um, I guess the first. A representation of Chinese food they brought it over here and Fair. yeah whatever uh, um, um, tweaks they had to make uh, whatever like changes they had to make to have 
to build that bridge for 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 locals to be able to access it easily. Um, they did that, and and now、um, a lot of people have already had that knowledge, and and now with the trap like traveling is so much easier now. A lot of people are learning what real Chinese is. Um, on their own as well, so there's、um, also that demand that's that's、uh, been you know people have been wanting it.、Mm-hmm. Um, so the timing worked out, and、um, I think it's funny because our generation, or like maybe、um, five six years, the people five six years older than us, they wouldn't be thinking. About going to America and and open a restaurant, they'd be coming to America. It's what their parents told them not to do. Exactly, they would come here and and be in finance. They would come here be engineers.、Um, but now with like people becoming more and more op- open minded and the、um, perception of being a chef or like being in the hospitality industry, it has、um, had so yeah, much. Yeah, it's like, shifted. Yeah, it's shifted, and and the reputation is much better now. Um, so younger people, younger kids are going to culinary school now. Yeah, they see the opportunity. Exactly.、Okay. So yeah, it's it's working out like in a lot of ways. Yeah. And、um, what are some perceptions you feel like your concepts are, you know, already changing as it relates to New Yorkers' perceptions about Chinese food, Chinese culture. Well, one thing that comes to mind is、uh, I think、um, what a lot of a lot of what、um, the new generation, the new cohort of、uh, Chinese chefs and Chinese restaurateurs is doing is adding to the diversity of Chinese food.、Um, it's a pretty simple statement of saying, "Oh, Chinese food is always going to be more colorful and more complicated than you think it is."、Mm. Um, it's endless. It's、so、endless. Okay. It's like. It's、you think you know Chinese、exactly. food, but no, actually, no, this. And yeah. Then,、oh, and the people, whoa, Chinese food can be so spicy and delicious. And you open a Sichuan place, and then some other person is going to come by and say, "Oh, there's this other type of Sichuan food." And then there's like、nice. a third type of Sichuan food. And then even within Chengdu, there's like East Chengdu, West Chengdu. Yeah. And so yeah. you start like opening all these doors. And I mean, that's the reason why I think Chinese food is the most exciting food in the world because of how、uh, how broad the horizons can be.、Um, and as young people start adding to this, I think. Um, uh, what's been really、uh, great for、uh, New York is that New Yorkers have been super receptive to the different varieties of、uh, Chinese food.、Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about all the types of rice noodle restaurants that have just popped up in like the same block right around、mm-hmm. uh, Mala Project, it's crazy because there's so much variation to it. Yeah.、Um, everywhere、uh, that we open a restaurant,、uh, everywhere there's a new Jinzu. Within the next six months, there are like four. Different types of noodle restaurants popping up all over the place near us. Yeah, noodles,、um, but all different. All different types of noodles. Like, oh, I'm the lamb noodle place. This is like <laughs> the beef noodle place. This is like the lighter noodle. This is the cold noodle place. It's it, it's、um, so wonderful. Yeah, and especially for New Yorkers who are always seeking something new, they like to be known as、mm-hmm. foodies. Yes.、Um, to have that access yeah. to. Yeah. The constant discoverability of food is exciting.、Yeah. There's a density in New York, especially in、uh, Manhattan, that allows for this type of innovation.、Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing about New York is not only do、um, not only are they open to people bringing sort of like honest、um, or directly imported what we used to call authentic versions of dishes from China here to the New York, they're also super receptive to people who are, as Emily is saying,、uh, honest to themselves. There's a lot of like new cuisine that's coming up that is representative only of the chef and the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Own story,、yeah. and have you then therefore have these sort of like contemporary Chinese restaurants that couldn't exist anywhere in the world except for New York?、Um, so going to、um, take a look at you know your guys's menus. There's like rice, bings, and noodles.、Um, there's plenty of carbs there. Would you argue that this is accessible for the health conscious diner? <laughs> and I ask this because you know there's like the sweet green arguing for、Absolutely. the health aspect.、Mm-hmm. Um, I I I don't think so. I think、um, just refer to the conversation that I had with my mom this during this trip. She,、um, you know, carb is import very important. And、um, I was going on this no carb diet, and she yelled at me. She said,、um, "Carb is、As、brain food." As an Asian food. mom does. Yeah, carb is brain food, and it's it's important for you. And、um, and there's a reason why you know you have carb. Um, like a a huge bowl of noodles and fried dough for breakfast,、um, 
in a in a you know in a in a country with like five thousand years of culinary、uh, background.、Um, so I don't think carb is like the devil here. The、mm-hmm. the problem is. How it's marketed right now. So, like, it sounds like from the Chinese or traditional Chinese perspective, it is healthy to have carbs worked in your diet. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think it. I mean, all our Chinese mothers、uh, have always told us it's always about moderation and it's about balance.、And、I think one of the wonderful things about Chinese food is、uh, that idea of balance. That whenever you have a bowl of noodles, there there will be、um, some fiber and there will be protein and that sort of thing.、Yeah. Um, and、uh, so that's. I mean, that's important to have. But、um, the carb the carb、uh, idea is one that's very.、Uh, Close heart for us as Chinese restaurant owners because、um, th- it's not just carbohydrates; it's also gluten, it's also uh, uh, soy, and all these things. And sometimes they're allergies, and sometimes you have to ask yourself:、um, to what extent do I? Is it my responsibility to educate our diners to say, "Hey, this thing you're saying about MSG is a little complicated. It's,、mm. uh, th- th- there are like multiple ways to attack this."、And、the same thing can be said for、uh, carbohydrates.、Um, so, what are some? Iconic Chinese things that you guys do at your restaurants that Chinese natives or immigrants would recognize and be delighted by. I guess we have to talk about tomato egg, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a tomato egg. <laughs> it's a tomato egg. It's、um, I mean, I've had、uh, tomato egg tomorrow. That's like super delicious. And、um, yes, it's tomato egg. And then you look at the tomato egg that we serve at Junzu. Yeah, that's tomato egg too. But they're kind of like really quite different in the. In everyone the, the has their own version.、Egg. Yeah, everyone yeah. has their own version. And what's funny is I used to when I first put tomato egg in the menu back in New Haven,、um, a lot of like、uh, American-born Chinese、um, customers in particular would come in and like. Like berate me for like、uh, making like tomato egg fusion dishes because they're like, oh, like, tomato egg is like authentically served with rice. Like the whole idea is this like goopy tomato sauce that you can like mix into your rice. Like nobody eats it with noodles. Um, nobody puts shrimp on it. Like what are you talking about? Like don't gourmetify this like home style mom dish.、And、I'm saying to myself because I'm thinking of that moment when I decided to put tomato egg、uh, on the menu. Which was when I was traveling in China. So I spend a month in China cooking every year to like sort of get ideas and see see what's happening. And I was at、uh, the equivalent of a Best Western, I think,、like、a regular <laughs> hotel hotel breakfast. I'm sitting down. I'm looking at what's in front of me that I got from the buffet, and it's a bowl of tomato egg noodles, like soupy tomato egg noodles, like banh mian actually, it's、mm-hmm. totally soupy. And there are little shrimps on it. And the person who served it to me had said, like, this is how. Like this is my breakfast every single day. A little bit of chili oil, shrimp, and like tomato eggs over noodles. I'm thinking about that moment as I'm in my restaurant, and this guy's berating me for like you know, making inauthentic tomato <laughs> egg dishes. Like this is like there's a lot of work to be done. Like the story is super complicated. And in the north, obviously, if they weren't eating rice, they would eat it with noodles. What else would you eat it with? So, I mean, the good news is、um, most of our customers come in and they see the tomato egg. And you know they think about the Francis Lam article in New York Times, <laughs> or they think or, about or their childhood memories, other childhood of the tomato、right. egg, and like wow, like、um, and the good thing is you can tell that people、um, suddenly eat something and they have access to that nostalgia, like oh, like this is like this is what I need today when it's you know a little dreary or whatever it is. It's funny because I actually grew up eating tomato、exactly. and egg、uh, noodle as, as well, like dalumia,、yeah. and I、yeah. we would put.、Um, Cucumber and vinegar, and vinegar like、uh, aged vinegar,、uh, garlic in it too. Yeah, super delicious. <laughs> yeah, and then I guess like also at your restaurants,、um, you know, you have your menus in Chinese. You have、um, decor that sp- speaks to like Chinese traditions.、Mm-hmm. Um, I saw you got some like、uh, white rabbit. Candies、oh, yeah. at Gen Z.、Oh, yeah. That's a fortune cookie. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. No, just the thing you give people to make people think about、um, the experience a little bit. Yeah, so、now. the environment kind of like、mm-hmm. warms you to、um, mainland China a little bit more, right? Yeah, and um, we um, we also started doing this WeChat group thing where we have our customers pulled into this one WeChat group where we post our menus every single day because it does、Ooh. change every day. Um, because WeChat is how, exactly how、yeah. everybody does everything now in China.、Mm-hmm. Um, so like having that ty-、uh, kind of invo-、uh, be a part of the restaurant operation, it's also kind of creating this、uh, familiar like nostalgic、yeah. feel for them. We need to be a part of this WeChat group. 
<laughs> yeah, all the insider tips. Yeah. Now, now it's gotten so big that it has to be invite only now. Oh, wow. oh, what? <laughs> Let's hope we can. That's that's how yeah. WeChat does it. <laughs> um. All right. So, uh, what do you guys think is needed to maintain a successful business model for each of you? Um, you know, since we're talking about like the fast casual concept, what do you think the keys to success are? Um, I think um, staying tr staying true to yourself and staying true to your um, the most original idea while uh, being able to keep up with the with the um, I guess the trend. Yeah, not um, like copying something directly. Yeah, exactly. But you you also have to we we have to keep evolving, and as people are learning about Chinese food, and as people are changing their perspective. On Chinese restaurants, we have to keep involving ourselves, but at the same time, we have to try really, really hard not to be distracted by it. Um, you know, um, why did we originally have um, a three dish and uh, a base? Um, are we going to get rid of rice because now there's this whole like no carb? Um, fad that's going on like no we don't want to do that but at the same time it's very important to listen to the customers and like analyze um, why people do certain things like why is certain things popular versus some some others are not yeah maybe it's like you choose your battles like which ones are the things you can educate on and which ones you need to kind of change mm -hmm. with the tide yeah exactly um, one th other thing that I can think of that I, I do um, very much believe in is that um, we have a responsibility as restaurateurs to educate our customers, yes, but also to educate uh, the people that are making the food. Um, uh, in my perspective, um, at Genza, uh, we um, a lot of our cooks aren't Chinese, um, and a lot of our cooks and the servers who serve the food didn't grow up with the type of Chinese food that we did. So we put a lot of effort into educating them into what contemporary Chinese food could be and what it's supposed to taste like, how it's supposed to be cooked, and why we are trying to do what we do. Um, we employ so many people at Jinzu that we have to make sure that they are um, a part of our mission and they understand our motivations and that we can do this together as well. Right, that's what also makes it scalable Absolutely. from a business perspective. Yeah. Um, so what are your goals for your respective eateries in the next year? Um, well, Jens is opening um, our fourth restaurant um, by Bryant Park uh, early next year. Yes. Um, and we just started construction. Um, so that's quite exciting and daunting. Um, but we're pretty excited about that. Um, uh, and we're going to be, uh, as the operations of the restaurant continue to expand, um, so will our capacities, hopefully, for storytelling at least. Um, so I'm personally, as the chef of the restaurant, really excited to just start branching out into other types of Chinese food and learning more about northern Chinese food that I absolutely couldn't imagine that I would have known before. That's exciting. Um, we're, we're also trying to, I guess, expand tomorrow at a very, like, um, I guess, doable way. Um, so, like like uh, Lucas was saying before, the one restaurant, the influence that you have is so limited. So if you do want to educate people at a much larger um, scale, you would have to expand. And that's why, like, that's I guess that's how the takeout restaurant came about because it's so, like, it's lightweight. It's easy to, uh, it's more scalable. Um, so we're going to try to do that and then um, at the same time, get our team ready because um, another big really big part um, I guess for for both Junzi and, and us is to educating the people that are with you and have them be ahead of um, you know they have to grow faster than the business itself so like educating the people um, making them great leaders while we're uh, trying to grow the, the business together yeah, that's great. So beyond food, you're thinking about your people, too. Yeah. And um, where do you see yourself in a few years from now? Say, like, I know <laughs> this is a hard one, like, in three years. <laughs> I, the only thing I can think of is in three years, I really want to know how to make, like, Something like I really want to master stir fried cabbage. I've been thinking about this dish for so long. Oh, like, can't it get sounds it right. simple. It but sounds it's not. so simple. That's these are the um, what we call like technique dishes. 
um, where you find yourself, you know, uh, uh, knees deep in uh, Chinese culinary technique, and you're saying to yourself, "Wow, I would really like to make the best fried cabbage I've ever had, just because that's how good I am on the walk." So, um, I mean, those are the short-term goals that you can um, keep as a chef to keep yourself, you know, going and alive and seeking perfection. Absolutely, yeah, sort of, less perfection. Just I just want to make the best cabbage like ever. Wouldn't that be so cool? Yeah. That sounds also very type A of you. Uh, sort of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we try to be. <laughs> um, hopefully, hopefully, um, I'm working on my MBA, and hopefully in three years I'll be able to have that. Um, just because it's it's different for us since it's a um, smaller scale company, and I have to be able to offer my team more than what they can get. Um, so like, there's that pressure of getting better um, myself so that I can give more back, um, like, oh, you know, getting uh, learning no, new knowledge, learning new, uh, learning more things about leadership style mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and hopefully in three years we don't have to explain to people that what tomato and or yeah, what like, tomato. yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, it, the people will be accepted of the fact that you can do tomato and egg over rice noodle. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I'm really excited to see that time. That I think it'll so happen. Cool. Um, all right. So before we end the program, we're going to shoot off some quick fire questions. It's all fun food related questions. Awesome. So just share what comes to mind first. Goodness. Yeah. <laughs> all right. When eating out, what neighborhood do you end up in the most? I'm always in Chinatown. Um, for whatever reason, because I think there's so much to be taken for granted that Chinatown, um, when you end up there and you really dig into the menu and you get to know the people who are making the food, it gets even more interesting than you thought it could be. Love it. Um, I guess Greenpoint now, because I just moved here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite restaurant in New York City right now? Um... The first one that comes to mind is Attaboy. Um, mm. uh, that comes JP's up a lot. Oh, JP, my goodness. Yeah. yeah, I. He is the most talented chef. Like, oh my goodness, I like love that guy. I moved here, but I moved to New York like about a year ago, and I've been to that restaurant ten times now, because um, every single time I learned something new. Um, I just respect um, everything they do at Attaboy so much. Um, not to mention Attamix. I have so many, um, but the first thing came to mind uh, at this moment is Kopitiam, um, new uh, Malaysian restaurant, small. You know, yeah, they've been on yeah, the show website. before too. Yeah, so yeah, great. I'm yeah. so happy that they uh, found a new location. I know, me too. And the the fact that um, how supportive the community is is amazing to see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, go Asian breakfast. More yeah, options absolutely. for that. Um, Okay, what's your favorite food city in the world? Chengdu, no oh, doubt for me. Yeah, I would probably say Chengdu as well. Oh, Hong Kong. Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah, probably. Why? I, I want to just understand that a little bit more. Um, because they have so many varieties in just different types of dish. You can never get uh, enough of it, and the way that people enjoy food is. They're actually eating. They're, they're you like see them eat. Like yeah, you okay. see them eat, and then they spend two hours at a skewer place, and then afterwards they go to have tea oh. and <laughs> settle that stomach for more. Exactly, and they they have this whole like lecture about it because it cleanses you and like it, it scrapes all the oil, all the grease um, out out of your body. It's it's great. They they really know how to eat and how to live there. Yeah, Chengdu has an amazing eating culture. Um, at downtown, there's a there's kind of like a Gucci temple. It's like a three story like all glass Gucci temple, <laughs> and you like watch these people of just course. like hanging out, like like shopping for bags, and they just have like skewers in their hands, or like you know, they'd be like slurping like, pink brain Chengdu noodles. Only in Chengdu Gucci like, would that be. Like... I know it's just incredible, um, yeah. and I mean it's a uh, it's so huge, and like everybody in the sort of like Chinese culinary. R- culinary world respects Chengdu but we always know that more stuff is going to come out of there all right I gotta put that back on my uh travel wish list um what's the best thing you ate recently it can be out at a restaurant your restaurant at home 
so I had Domino's uh, Hawaiian pizza for the first <laughs> yes. time since they changed the recipe uh, like this weekend. Wait, um, is it better or worse? It's, it's, it's been improved. Like this oh. hand pan pizza. Well, they changed this recipe a, a, quite a couple years ago and I've heard about this, but I haven't had it for a long time. It's delicious. It's so good. Um, it's perfectly crispy. It's very consistent, like in the middle and the gooey middle to the side. And um, there's an perfect amount of crisp uh, the pineapple is like julian so beautifully uh, it's, it's almost a perfect product yeah and i love that we're talking about dominoes <laughs> at roberta's oh yeah not too shout out <laughs> um for me i i uh, last night i brought um this cold cold dish from tomorrow it's a pork belly with um with scallion and it's cold oh. and then i had like brown rice but then didn't finish it so i i just stir fried them together made it like a pork belly uh, fry brown rice good texture there too yeah very very good <laughs> um okay amazing thank you for all the answers that wraps up our show um where should listeners go to follow you and keep up to date on what you're up to you could follow us um on instagram at uh, jenzi kitchen j-u-n-z-i kitchen um or you could um if you're interested in coming to the tasting menus um you can dm me directly at lucas.sin um, you can follow us at mala project on instagram also tomorrow uh tomorrow nyc on instagram as well and my personal handle is amelie kang um, instagram awesome thank you guys uh and listeners thank you for tuning in we truly appreciate your support if you haven't already, please take a minute to leave us a star rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back in a couple weeks. That's November 14th with another awesome conversation from the world of Asian food. Woo! for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.